Here at Connection Point, our unchanging mission is to connect people to Jesus and each other, and we're committed to doing this beyond the walls of our building. Through your efforts, Connection Point is reaching more people than ever before in more places than ever before. So what are some of the ways we've seen God move through Connection Point over the last year in our community, our world, and the new digital world? In our community, we've cared for and trained 3,600 children and students. And in 2018 and 2019, we've baptized 587 new believers into faith in Christ. Over 300 of you volunteered to serve 150 families through the Holiday Project, providing over 7,000 toys and clothes to children in need for Christmas. We baked and donated over 1,400 pies to bless our teachers on Pie Day. Together, we donated almost $21,000 in books, tools, and equipment to our schools through Project Classroom. And we've helped 100 families pay off $375,000 in debt through our financial coaching and classes. Throughout the world, we've invested over $1 million in missions, efforts, and partnerships. 150 of you went on 15 trips to six countries this past year. Seven Connection Point members are currently serving as full-time missionaries with five more preparing to enter the mission field. We're supporting 26 partners serving 20 people groups in 16 different countries. We've helped build two facilities and plant 362 churches through our partnerships. And you're sponsoring 630 children, providing them with daily food, clothes, education, and a hope for the future in Christ. In the new world of digital, People have viewed our Bible teaching messages 745,000 times over the last year. We're building spiritual relationships with online viewers in five different states and have viewers from 43 states and 23 countries, and we're just getting started. We've even seen three online viewers travel across the country to be baptized here at Connection Point. As we continue pursuing greater things, we're changing the world locally, globally, and digitally. Through your faithful support, we'll continue and increase our investment in the greater things that God is doing now. So how can you be a part of what God is doing through Connection Point? Give. It's your generosity that enables us to invest in reaching people here in Indiana and all across the globe. Pray. Pray daily and specifically for our efforts. Prayer is one of the most powerful tools we have as Christians, and your prayers help us expand God's kingdom. And go. Serve with a ministry here on campus, a local partner, go on a mission trip, or share what we're doing digitally. Be the hands and feet of Christ. We can't wait to see what God has planned for us in 2020. Join us as we reach people we've never reached before, connecting people to the hope and life of Jesus. Isn't that incredible to see what God is doing through our movement around the world? And yeah, we can celebrate that here. And those of you watching online, you can celebrate from wherever you're watching. You know, God's the one who does the work. He's the one, those 587 people who've been baptized into a new relationship with him. He's the one who does it, but he chooses to use faithful people. And we see this in scripture from Abraham and Moses back in the book of Genesis and Exodus all the way to the book of Revelation at the end where Jesus says, to the one who perseveres unto the end, I will give the crown of life. God chooses to use faithful people. And right now God is choosing to use us as a church. And this series, Changemakers, is really a big pat on the back, a big encouragement 
For all of you who are faithfully giving, faithfully serving, faithfully praying, it's a way to say, keep on doing what you're doing. God is using you to change the world. Now, if you're newer with us or if you're kind of, you know, watching what's happening in this church, this series is a great opportunity for you to ask God, God, how do you want me to be part of what you're doing right now? Well, I don't know if you've ever used Yelp. I've got the Yelp app on my phone. I love looking at Yelp reviews. I'm trying to find a restaurant to eat at or if I'm traveling in a new city. And, you know, Yelp's a total free market. Anyone can write a review about anything. And I found some kind of funny reviews on Yelp. Uh, The first one's about Yosemite. If you've never been to Yosemite, it's just breathtaking. It's one of the natural wonders of the world. But uh, Vern S. from San Carlos, California, he wasn't too impressed. He he gave Yosemite one star. Here's what Vern writes. He writes, uh, utterly horrible place. No McDonald's on every corner. No casinos or pawn shops anywhere in sight. Trees block the views and too many gray rocks. No concierge or valet parking. Just forget about this place. (laughs) Kind of funny. Here's the funnier, funnier one. This is a review of a jail, okay? Uh, Breggy G stayed a few nights in the D.C. Department of Corrections. And and Breggy gives the jail two stars. Two stars. Spent the night here a few times and it's honestly not that bad. The police weren't very nice, and it was so cold, but I made some friends, and the cafeteria lasagna was dope. (laughs) Hilarious. I'll give you something else to laugh about. Here's a picture of me when I was 16 on a ski trip, a little bit sunburnt, and uh, there's actually a story that goes with this picture. See, when I was a senior in high school, one of my closest friends, he invited me to go with him and his family on a ski vacation to Colorado. Now, I grew up in Michigan, and so I would snowboard and ski, but it was on these tiny little hills that we would call mountains in Michigan, and they were actually going to Colorado to some of the best slopes in the world. And it's one of those stories, one of those moments in life I'll never forget because you know, I was so motivated to go. I actually broke my wrist playing soccer, and the doctor put it in a cast and said, you can't go snowboarding, and I said, I'm going anyway. I'm not turning down a free trip to go to Colorado. And here's the thing. I had never flown on an airplane before. Everything in that trip was new to me. I'd never flown on a plane before. My family wasn't from the class of society where we could afford to fly on airplanes. Everything on that trip was a new experience to me. I remember when we got to the airport and they rented a rental car, a brand new rental car. I'd never been in a brand new rental car. My family drove these rusty old cars. And I remember on this whole trip just realizing, you know, what's ordinary for this family is extraordinary for me. What's normal for them is incredible for me. I remember looking down at the lift ticket that my friend's dad bought me, and I I did the math. I looked at the price on that lift ticket, and I thought about how much I made per hour. I worked as a janitor at the time, and I added it up, and I was like, wow, this is like a month and a half of my work as a janitor, like just to go skiing. Everything was new to me. Every day after we would ski and snowboard, uh, his dad would say, pick any restaurant. And we'd pick a restaurant and his dad would just pick up the check and sign it. We could order whatever we wanted. And I just remember being like, wow, their ordinary is extraordinary. And I want to talk with you today about how our life as Christians in America might seem ordinary to us, but it's actually extraordinary compared to other believers in the world today 
and compared to all believers throughout history. Now, some of you know I used to work as a journalist, and when I left my journalism career and became a pastor, I did a big research project to assess what's the state of the church in America. And there's all sorts of research in there, but there was one finding in particular that kind of stuck out the side, and it's this reality that the American church, all of us believers in Jesus today, we are by far the wealthiest church in world history. And you might be like me and you might be like, I don't feel wealthy, but I'm going to show you some statistics, some data that really indicates we've been given so much and God's given it to us for a purpose. Maybe before you've heard this story that Jesus once told called the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents is this story where Jesus says there's an owner and he goes away on a trip. And so he picks three managers and to the first manager, he gives five talents or bags of silver. The second manager gets two talents, bags of silver. And the third manager gets one talent, one bag of silver. And the owner says, I'm going away. While I'm away, I want you to put my money to work. I want you to invest it wisely. And I'm going to come back and then I'm going to ask you, what did you do with what I gave to you? So the owner goes away. The owner comes back. And the ones who had five talents and the one who had two talents, they had both invested them and had added to him, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Then he gets to the one who had the one talent. The one with the one talent had been negligent. That servant had buried the talent in the ground, had not used it. And in the story Jesus tells, the owner is, is very angry about that. Because he says, I gave that to you to use, and you didn't use it. And then Jesus says, this is how it will be when you meet me at the end of your life. We don't get into heaven by earning our way there or doing good deeds. We get into heaven by receiving the free gift of salvation through Jesus. But once we receive that free gift, we're adopted into God's family and he gives us talents. Sometimes they're actual gifts and abilities. Our time and health are talents. Our financial resources are talents. And Jesus teaches us over and over again that the real question we should be asking in life isn't, Am I making a name for myself or am I as comfortable as I could possibly be or what's the next toy or thing or vacation I can get? The real question that we should be asking and that he will ask us is what are you doing with what's been given to you? What did you do with what was given to you? I'd encourage you in your life application study Bible to read this story in Matthew 25. Read the footnotes and the discussion questions that are around it. It's such an important teaching of Jesus because we live in a time that says, no matter how much money you make, there's always more stuff to get, there's always more vacations to take. Uh, we hear about celebrities all the time who make millions of dollars, but they're millions of dollars in debt. Because once we get on the treadmill of thinking we can achieve happiness through getting more stuff, it never actually delivers. And Jesus says, be careful how you live your life, because for some of us, it'll be in five years or 10 years, 30 years, 50 years, but every one of us, we will look Jesus in the eyes, and he will say, what did you do with what was given to you? Now, interesting thing about that parable of the talents, he doesn't expect the person with one talent to do what you could do with five. And he doesn't expect you to do what someone with more resources or more abilities could do, but he does expect you to be faithful with what he has given to you. 
And it's in light of this story that our position as American Christians really is something we need to take seriously. Let me show you a few of the things that I've found in my research. The first is that as Christians living in America today, we literally have twice as many years as average Christians in world history. Did you know that global life expectancy just as recently as 1840 was only about 40 to 45 years? That's the average lifespan of a human that goes back thousands of years. In the last 200 years, because of modern medicine and science and hospitals, that has doubled. So I'm going to look at Jesus at the end of my life and I'll know I had two lifetimes to serve him compared to all the other believers in history. That's true of us in the American church. Jesus, after that story, he said, to whom much is given, much is required. Well, it's not only the length of our life that's extraordinary, even though it might seem ordinary to us, it's also our way of life. We've been given freedom and education and opportunity that most believers in the world don't have today and no other believers in history have. As a result of this, we have far more wealth. Here's a chart of average annual income for average humans all across the globe. This goes back to 10,000 BC. And you can see that it's been under $1,000 a year for most of history. What happened here was the Industrial Revolution. And after the Industrial Revolution, annual income skyrocketed to where it's now up to about $7,000 per year around the world. I would guess most of you watching this, you make more than $7,000 a year. So that line rockets up even further. So not only have we been given two days for every one day of the other Christians in history, we've also been given exponentially more wealth. Now, it doesn't always feel like that because we're paying our bills every month. And if you're here and you're like, okay, John, these are great numbers, but at the end of every month, I don't have anything left over. I'm always behind at the end of that month. Well, I want to encourage you, first of all, if you've never taken our Financial Peace University to sign up for that class. Every year, dozens of families go through our Financial Peace University, and you don't have to make a ton of money to end every month in the positive. You can end every month having saved for your future and having given to the kingdom of God. Uh, and there's a lot of tools that we have here. Every year we help dozens of families get out of debt. Well, one of the unique things about us in the American church is just how much wealth God has entrusted to us. A few ways we can measure this. One that might not apply, doesn't apply to me, doesn't apply to all of us, but some of us is the number of millionaires in the United States. Do you know that globally, Around the world today, 40% of the millionaires in the world live in the United States. Now, it's not all like they have a checking account with a million dollars in it, right? But if you add up their home equity and their retirement and everything, there's at least a million dollars of net worth there. 40% of those people in the world live in the U.S. And I know that's not a lot of us. That's not me. But here's something that is true of us. We, as a church in the United States, we make up about 12% of the global church, if you count up the number of Christians on each continent. In other words, if you were to take 100 people and put them in a room, and these 100 people represent the global church, 12 of them would be Americans. But those 12 would hold 80% of the assets and resources of the global church. We hold 80% of the assets and resources of the global church. And so again, when we look at the teachings of Jesus and he says, to whom much is given, much is required. 
even though we might feel like our lives are kind of ordinary, and of course there's always someone up the street who has a newer car and a bigger house and this and that that we don't have, but when we zoom out and compare ourselves to the world and to history, we see even very normal Americans, God has given us exponentially more. So the question at the end of our life will be, what did we do with what we were given? Well, I want to tell you an encouraging story about a woman named Joanna. And Joanna, she used what was given to her for the kingdom of God. She acknowledged that her life, just like yours, God had given her unique talents. Now, in Joanna's case, her talent wasn't singing. She never led worship. It wasn't teaching. She never got up and taught a class. When Joanna became a follower of Jesus, she wasn't sure, how do I really contribute to his work? Joanna lived in high society. She was married to a diplomat who was a very, very busy man. He was not really around, and so she did have a lot of time. And so Joanna started to invest her time into the ministry of Jesus on earth. And then, because he would kind of throw money her way to keep her happy since he wasn't around, Joanna started to invest much of that money into the work of God. As Joanna lived her life and invested more time and more earthly resources into the work of Jesus, she ended up becoming the unsung financier of one of the most famous ministries in world history. Joanna is the sometimes overlooked financier of Jesus' ministry. Look at this in Luke chapter 8, verse 3. We're told in the Gospels that Joanna, her husband's name was Cusa, and he was the business manager for Herod. Herod's a king. He's a world leader. Cusa's making good money, but he's very busy. And Joanna, along with Susanna and many others, they were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Maybe you've never seen this before in the Gospels, but this is the reality of Jesus' public ministry. When Jesus wasn't miraculously multiplying bread, Joanna was buying the bread. When Jesus didn't have a friend's house to stay at, Joanna was paying for the hotel or the inn. Joanna's physical resources, she had these gold coins that had Caesar's silhouette on them. And Joanna had the wisdom to see as she learned the teachings of Jesus, someday I'm going to die and someone else is going to have these gold coins. But while they're in my possession, I can invest them into the work of God and they can produce an eternal harvest. And that's Joanna's legacy. Now, did God have to use Joanna to change the world through Jesus? He didn't have to, just like he doesn't have to use us. But did God, in his sovereignty and providence, choose to use Joanna's physical gold coins to provide for the ministry of Jesus, which would change the world? Yes, he did. To whom much is given, much is required. Joanna was faithful with what God gave her, and she ended up leaving a legacy. And here's the question for those of us who've been given so much. Will we leave a Joanna legacy? Will we leave a Joanna legacy? What will we do with what's been given to us? And of course, for each of us, that's different. And so the question isn't, well, what does my neighbor think? Or what does the pastor think? That, that, none of that matters. Five, 30, 50 years from now, when you're looking Jesus in the eyes, you're not going to care what anyone else thought about your life. But the question for every one of us to ask is, okay, my eternal life was given to me as a gift. 
Now God has given me talents to use, and he's going to ask me someday, what did I do with them? I want to live knowing I'm not burying that in the ground. Whether it's my resources or my time or my abilities, I'm not going to bury it into the ground. I'm going to use it for the kingdom of God. Well, how can we leave a Joanna legacy? I want to suggest a couple ways. You know, the first is something you'll hear around here regularly, and that is to be serving with your time like Joanna did. The second is that as Americans, even if you feel like, oh, I don't make a ton, we all make enough that we can give a little bit to the work of God. And that little bit adds up. As you create a lifestyle that puts God first, he'll take care of you. And your little bit over years will add up. And so we prioritize God and say, you know what, when, when I get an increase of any kind, a paycheck or anything, I'm always going to give a little bit to God first and then allow him to bless the rest. But there's something else. As I looked at the data of how much wealth is in the United States and in the American church and thought, why doesn't it get out to the rest of the believers around the world? One of the things I realized was this, even Americans who have a bigger net worth, it's usually in their home equity, it's usually in their retirement account, it's not like it's just sitting there in cash on the dining room table. And so I really realized that, you know what, for me as kind of a normal American, my biggest contribution financially to the kingdom of God, part of it will be year after year how it all adds up over a lifetime. But the other part will probably be when I breathe my last breath on earth. That is, as God allows over a lifetime for us to accrue resources and those are given to us to provide for ourselves and our families, at some point I will exhale my final breath on planet earth. And my eyes will open up and I'll be in the presence of God. And I realize, you know what, I could set it up. I don't have a lot now, but hopefully I'll be older when he calls me home. And I can set it up so that anything I leave behind, the kingdom of God is part of that inheritance or that will or that estate. I started to look into it, and here's what I found. In the United States, every year, there's a $2 trillion wealth transfer. It's $100 billion times 10 times 2. Bible-believing Christians, through all of us together, we hold about $400 billion of that. So every year in Bible-believing Christian families, God, as he calls home the oldest generation and they graduate into eternal life, there's $400 billion passed down every year to kids and to grandkids. And one of the things I realize is that when we look, zoom out and realize we are the wealthiest church in world history, this is our opportunity to leave a Joanna legacy. To say, you know what, with my will or trust or estate, I'm going to honor my kids, I'm going to bless my grandkids, and I'm going to prioritize the kingdom of God and ministries that I know are making disciples. I'm going to plan that out. And for many believers, the biggest thing they ever do for the kingdom of God might happen the very moment God calls them home. We can prioritize God and leave a Joanna legacy. Well, in this series, Changemakers, I'm encouraging you that as a church, you're doing this. You are changing the world. You're not burying your talents in the ground. And for every one of you who are serving or giving or praying, I'm about to share with you some really encouraging stories. And if it's not you yet, don't be shamed or guilted by me. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to teach you the word of God and show you the truth. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart if he's calling you to be part of this. Well, we've learned that as a church, 
we are following Jesus' mission to change the world, his heart, in four specific ways. We're doing it right here in our community. So that includes uh, the 587 people who've been baptized here in the last two years. It includes this weekend service right here in this building. It includes our next generation. That's another expression of our heart, the 3,602 children who we've taught about Jesus so far this year. It includes people like Neely, who we learned about two weeks ago, who's now serving as a missionary because of the way she was raised in this church. Our expression of our heart also includes digital. Those of you watching online right now, the five to 20,000 people who will watch this message online in the next couple weeks. It includes people like Amy. If you missed last week's message, you gotta watch Amy's story. Amy lives in Ohio. At age 18, she turned away from God. She says she hated God. But Amy has a friend here in Brownsburg named Kim. Kim invited Amy here, and Amy started to soften toward God. And every week, Amy watches us online from Ohio, and God has worked in her heart. She's believed in Jesus. She was baptized over the summer. She's now living a life of peace and joy and freedom that she didn't have before. So it's a wild new frontier of digital, but God's using us there. And today I want to encourage you with what God is doing through us as a church in missions all around the world. Here's an overview of our 26 missionaries that we support serving in 20 places. What I love about this is, you know, so many of them are in other time zones. And there's this reality that when you lay your head on the pillow at night and you fall asleep, there are people who are waking up to start their day. And because of your support for them, they get to wake up and say, I get to tell people about Jesus today. There's nothing else I have to worry about today other than going and teaching kids in this school or building up leaders for this church. And through our united resources as a church, we're able to support these 26 missions partners. I could show you all sorts of numbers that are like, whoa, I can't believe God's doing that through our church. But I wanna show you some specific stories. The first is Jacinta. Jacinta was born in Kenya, and this might sound odd to you as an American, but in Kenya, girls are sometimes still sold into marriage. It's essentially a modern form of slavery where a rich old man goes to the parents, he says, I like your daughter, I'll give you this much money, and they sell her into marriage. Well, Jacinta was scheduled to be sold into a marriage, and not one that she wanted to be part of, and not one that was a fair or equal kind of thing. And what happened is we have a missions partner in Kenya named John Keshi. And John went to Jacinta's parents and he said, hey, instead of selling your daughter into marriage, if you will let her come to my Christian school, I will give her a ninth through 12th grade education. And then Americans who support me will train her to have a career. And your daughter Jacinta, she'll end up making more money in her career than if you sell her. It's sad that we have to reason with people like that, but they do. So he talked Jacinta's parents into not selling her. And she went to that school that's run by our mission partner. And after that, you all provided and she got further education. Today, Jacinta is the equivalent of what we'd call a nurse practitioner in the United States. Over there, it's called a clinical officer. And Jacinta now works helping other people with their health. She makes a good living. And now she goes around to those other parents and says, don't sell your daughter. Your daughter could be like me. She could be free and have an education and she can provide for you and she can change the world. This is happening through Connection Point and through all of you. In this picture with Jacinta is Connie Crum and in the next picture is her husband, Dan. 
Here's a picture of Dan. Dan and Connie were from our church, and they went out for about 20 years to Kenya as full-time missionaries. Dan and Connie are back home in the States now, and Dan serves as our pastor of missions, or Global Impact. And what's great about this is that Dan has the experience of being a cross-cultural missionary, and so he is able to distribute the resources that we're investing in a very wise way. In other words, as Americans, we can't just write a check and blindly throw it into these developing world countries, or it'll get caught up in corruption. Dan understands how we can take the assets that we've combined and actually use them in a wise way to make disciples and change lives through partners like John Keshi. Uh, by the way, can we just give a round of applause to Dan and Connie Crum for all they have done and continue to do? In this picture with Dan is a guy named Patrick. When Dan and Connie moved to Kenya, Patrick was a little guy. And he grew up hearing about Jesus through Dan. He became a follower of Jesus. He became an elder in his church. And therefore, the Maasai people group in Kenya, Patrick ended up becoming a pastor. And then he continued, and now he's a bishop. He oversees multiple churches, making sure that their pastors are preaching the word of God, making sure that those churches are actually lifting Jesus high. And all that is happening because of you all and because of a couple from our church who gave their lives to serve and because of a church that supported them financially so they could do that. Well, I want to encourage you after this service in the lobby to stop by our Global Impact Display. Or if you're watching online, you can go to connectionpoint.org global and there you can see dozens of stories like the ones I'm sharing with you today. I got to tell you another one. This is Keisha. Keisha was born on a Navajo reservation in the desert of Arizona. And Keisha grew up in a little Christian school there on the reservation run by a woman named Dawn Springer, another missionary who came from our church and who we've supported for years and years and years. Well, Dawn taught Keisha growing up about Jesus. And when Dawn asked Keisha one day, what do you want to be when you grow up? Keisha said, my dream is to be a heart surgeon. Pretty cool dream. Well, by God's grace and the investment that we've been able to make through Dawn, Keisha won a full-ride scholarship to Columbia University. She then went on to become a public health doctor in New York. And more recently, Keisha joined Doctors Without Borders, and she now travels all around the world giving medical care to kids in situations like the one she came from. That all happened through you all. Isn't that not incredible what God is doing? And uh, we can celebrate that. And we should say thank you to Dawn Springer. Dawn actually recently retired just a few months ago and she moved here. And Dawn now serves in her retirement in our kid city. Uh, it's just incredible the missionaries that we get to partner with and support. God is using us to change the world. And we as a church have decided we're not going to bury our talents in the ground. As individuals and as a movement, we're going to live as ones who know to whom much is given, much is required. And by God's grace, he is doing much through us. Well, we've seen that this includes missions. It includes next generation. I want to give you one more story from our community. And it's something that you can be part of even right now. This is our holiday project. We do this every year in December. We adopt, more or less, families 
who are in need. And I want you to see the story of one of those families. Chris is the grandma's name. Go ahead and take a look. I was introduced to the Holiday Project when my oldest grandson was in kindergarten. I had just gotten custody of the six, eight, and 10 year old. Being a single grandparent was difficult. Looking at, am I gonna have Christmas? Am I gonna be able to keep food on the table or buy a few gifts? The Holiday Project has erased that for me. The first time I got involved with the Holiday Project, I was speechless. When they said, okay, it's time to go shop for your families and they opened the gymnasium doors and all you see were these gifts that everybody lovingly and <laughs> donated. The first thing that caught my eye was a Thomas the Train set for my grandson. He loves Thomas. I would not have been able to get him that had it not been for that the holiday project. I met Kayla and Josh two years ago. We've been attending Connection Point as a family for about six years now, and pretty much from the beginning, we enjoyed participating in the holiday project. We wanted to be a host family. We wanted to be with the families. We actually meet some of those families and see who they are that we are helping, just to have that relationship built with them. When I first started talking to Kayla, she had stated that she had been brought up by another family member, so she knew where I was coming from. I was raised by my great aunt and uncle. It just felt like we had that connection. This will be the third year with Kayla and I and Josh, and it's great. Just getting to be with the same family over the last three years has allowed us to just to bond with them and just to um, be able to send a text and say, hey, hope your day's going well, or hey, I'm praying for you today. I can talk to her, I can text her if I'm, trying to figure things out. Just to know that she does have somebody that, that cares for her and that prays for her. Like sometimes you make a donation and you don't necessarily see the impact, right? But when you're actually there in person and you're seeing the difference it's making, I think that's the best part right there. The Holiday Project, the program itself, is my small group. The people that come out, the, the love that they show, the caring. It's not the monetary things, it's not the toys, it's just the flat out and out unconditional love that everyone has. They're there without a reason. I've been told I'm not going through this alone. I've got a lot of people in my corner. I have my own cheering section actually. <laughs> I was sitting talking to a couple of ladies and she's like, well, why don't you come out and try the church? And I'm like, okay, I'll have to do that. And I walked into the main auditorium as nervous as I could ever be. Then everybody started singing. And it was home. I had been wanting to rededicate my life for a long time. I just never felt where. And uh, January 27th, I was baptized. Anytime you you serve God, and no matter what the capacity is, it, it always has an impact on you, a positive one. The real impact that we make, that God wants us to make, is by getting out there and doing His work. And that's what we're 
trying to do, and even if it's a, a small way. All the families that step up and take time to embrace the rest of us, there's not a dividing line. It's just people with hearts wanting to help people that need heart. I don't think people realize the smallest um, gesture can mean the absolute world to somebody else. And that's what the church has done for our little slice of life. So, <laughs> thank you. This is what we do. This is what God's doing through you. And if you want to be part of the Holiday Project this year, you can go out in our lobby. You'll see the Global Impact Display. You'll see the Holiday Project display. Those tags are there, just like Chris described. Uh, you can buy the presents. You can buy the pajamas. You can partner with one of these families and walk with them. God is using us. And I want to encourage you. We as a church, we're not burying our talents in the ground. And if you want to be part of this, there's so many ways you can start being part whether it's through the Holiday Project or starting to give consistently, starting to actually pray every day those changemaker prayers. God, use our church in a big way. Well, I got to tell you a story that this week has encouraged me so much because our next generation is one of the biggest burdens on my heart. And in this series, what we're seeing is that missions and local and next generation, they're not separate things. They're all strands of one cord. They're all expressions of one heart. And the next generation is such a burden on my heart because I just know that growing up as a high school or middle school student today, you don't be a follower of Jesus because it's easy. You don't accidentally be a Christian at a time where things are turning away from Christianity culturally in our society and at a time where morally what Christians believe is ridiculed and mocked. Our young people aren't going to be Christians by accident. And they are our future. They're our future missionaries. They're our future business leaders. They're our future moms and dads. And as a church, we've said we're going to do all that we can to raise the next generation for Christ. And I've got to tell you a story that just happened with a 13-year-old girl in our church named Lily. Here's a picture of Lily. Lily's in Guatemala here with Floracita. Floracita is one of the 630 children who are sponsored by families at Connection Point. And that's another thing you can learn about today in our lobby. So every day, Floracita in a very poor area of Guatemala gets three meals, gets clean clothes, and gets a Christian education because of Lily's family. And there's 629 others like Floracita through the Connection Point family who are supported. But Lily's family, every fall break when Brownsburg schools have a little two-week break, they go to Guatemala on one of our short-term trips. Now you can sign up. We've got about 15 of those trips next year. And here's what Lily wrote. She just wrote this two days ago about her time in Guatemala two weeks ago. 13-year-old writes this. Our team split into groups to visit families' homes and talk to them about the dreams for their children, to see their homes, have a glimpse of what they face every day. And then Lily says, if you were to stand in any one of the homes in Los Verdes, Guatemala, you would see poverty. But you can also see something other than poverty. You can see the joy. You can see the happiness in all of the students as they close their eyes and sing out the lyrics to worship songs. 
You could see their happiness as they talk and laugh with friends. You can see happiness in the staff and teachers who we get to support when the little ones run up and give them a hug. Happiness is so present in the learning center and God is the center of that happiness. Now listen to these words from a 13-year-old in your church. Happiness is a choice. Anyone can choose to see the negatives in life. At the learning center, the students and staff constantly see poverty, hurt, disease, and pain. But they choose to see something else. They choose to see the joy in their lives. Instead of turning away from their hurt, they choose to smile instead. They choose to praise God for all the things he has given them and all the many blessings they will receive in heaven. This earth has broken so many people down, but when they come to know God, it builds them up. Then this 13-year-old from our church quotes James chapter 1 and says, In the Bible, joy is happiness in putting God above everything else. I think this verse is telling us if you are happy with God and put him above everything else, then when something difficult or a hardship comes your way, he will be there with you and he will follow through with his promises and his blessings. Now listen to this wisdom from this 13-year-old girl who you all are discipling. This is wisdom that most adults never get. I think that joy is not something that just comes randomly or occasionally when something exciting or important happens. Instead, joy is tied to faith. When you're faithful, God will place joy in your heart. You can see that all your hardships and difficulties are for good. God will give you many blessings. Continue with your faith and those blessings will be granted. Even if your trials seem endless, he promises the outcome will be good. And then get this, 13-year-old, perfectly healthy, living a, a prosperous American life, has her whole life ahead of her, gets something that many of us who are closer to the end than her, we don't get. But listen to this, the earth, this earth is not our home. It's just temporary. It doesn't matter if everything isn't perfect here because this isn't home. We shouldn't find our deepest joy or happiness in what is here on earth. We find joy in God. So choose happiness, she writes. Choose joy. Instead of hiding your problems or carrying your burdens yourself, give it all to God and choose joy. Isn't that incredible from Lily? Man. And a big part of this is the small groups that she's part of in our children's ministry, in our middle school ministry. It's her family saying, hey, we'll go on these mission trips as a family. It's her family saying, we will support a child in another country so that our American kids see that our life is extraordinary, even if it seems ordinary. Many of you were here in the spring. We did a vision campaign called Greater Things. And when you walk into the lobby, you'll see all these jars on the wall in the lobby. And what these jars on the Greater Things wall represent are different families who've said, we're all in at Connection Point to raise the strongest generation, to continue our legacy and missions, to keep reaching people locally and around the world. And I just want to invite you, if you're not yet part of Greater Things, you can become part of it today. Whether it's by joining Greater Things or being part of the Holiday Project or signing up to go on a mission trip, my heart for you as a shepherd and as a brother is that you would have a moment with God today where you say, God, I acknowledge to whom much is given, much is required. You've given so much to me. I don't want to bury it 
in the ground. Could you stand? And I'd love to pray that over us. Father, in this place, we just acknowledge, Lord, that the propensity of our heart, the gravity of my heart is to drift to selfishness, to just take care of me and my own. And, and in that selfish gravity, I can completely lose perspective of how much you've given to me. Today, Jesus, you've taught us from Matthew 25 that at the end of our life, you will ask each one of us, what did you do with what I gave to you? And God, right now we come to you as an expression of obedience, a movement of the will, a decision of our hearts to say, God, we want to be faithful with the days of life you give us to be part of your work in this world by serving. We want to be faithful, Lord, with the resources you've given us. We might not feel wealthy, but we are, it is a fact, the wealthiest Christians in all of history. And so, Lord, as we think about our wills and our estates, as we look at our monthly income and the way we prioritize what we're worshiping, we just choose to say all those choices add up. It might not feel dramatic at the beginning, but after years and years of putting you first, it adds up. And Lord, we don't want to bury in the ground the resources you've given us. So God, I just pray for every family, for every individual in our church, for every person watching online in our movement, for us as a movement, Lord, would you protect us from apathy? Would you deliver us from selfishness? Would you forgive us for ways that we've buried our talents in the ground? And God, will you make us a church that multiplies what you've given to us? Would you give us a Joanna legacy that we take gold coins that will someday be given to someone else when we die and instead we invest them to change lives for eternity? to be part of an eternal kingdom. Lord, give us a Joanna legacy. Let us choose that in our serving and faithfully praying for your work and in our giving. Lord, just make us more like Joanna. Make us more like Lily, the 13-year-old among us who has such strong faith, who sees that this world is temporary and we're here on a mission. And the mission is not our comfort. It's the expansion of your kingdom. So God, we praise you for how you are working. You're working because of the obedience of believers who've gone before us. And so now we give you our obedience and ask that you'd use it to change a generation, to change the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.